Hey everybody, it's Pastor B. Open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 12. Today we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 27. And this is the portion of scripture where Jesus encounters a group called the Sadducees. I'll tell you just a little bit about exactly who those guys were, how they were different from the Pharisees. We'll get into all that here in just a second. But before we do, I want to I want to jump to the question that we're going to be really answering through the course of today's podcast. And the question is about heaven. Well, and even really about hell, because the question is, what will eternity be like? Now, I don't know if you grew up in a Christian church like I did. And so I always had this picture. Um, I think it was wrong at the end of the day, but for some reason, I don't know why, I had this picture of eternity that it was going to be white and harps and really, really chill and really, really mellow. And, um, and I, you know, in the end, I mean, as I've gotten older, I realized that that's my picture of eternity was more like an insane asylum, <laughs> I think. I, I don't think I got that from the Bible. I don't know if I got it from pop culture or maybe a Sunday school teacher or something. I don't know. I, I've actually read a book more recently called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I highly recommend it. In fact, I'll put a link to that book down below. But that book helped me to understand that that heaven is going to be beautiful. It's going to be so different than, you know, I think than even kind of the, the way the culture depicts it in movies or in cartoons or whatever. But, you know, think about maybe like an agnostic answer, someone who doesn't really believe they don't know if God exists or heaven exists or not. I think their answer would be, well, who knows? You know, a, a, a universalist answer would say, well, you know, heaven's whatever you want it to be. All roads lead to heaven. In fact, I just recently, you know, asked the question of AI. I threw that into good old chat GPT, and here's what they said. They said, ah, the age-old question about eternity. Some people imagine it as an endless expanse of time, while others think of it as a timeless state where everything happens at once. I suppose it depends on your perspective, what are your thoughts on eternity? And you know what? I'm not surprised that that's what artificial intelligence has to say about it. Because really, today, today's culture basically just says, well, what do you think? You know, nobody wants to be pinned down on an answer. Nobody, everyone, it's, it's almost like kind of like have it your way, like Burger King heaven. Heaven is what you want it to be. Kind of like everything these days that, you know, well, gender is what you want it to be. You get to determine what is true. You get to decide. Well, the truth is, no, we don't. There is an answer to the question, what will eternity be like? And the person who has the answer is Jesus. Jesus knows, this is what we believe, of course, as we open up our Bibles today, that Jesus knows the answer to the question, and we'll get to his answer and to the biblical answer by the end of today's lesson. But first, we have to kind of jump into the text for today, the interaction that Jesus has with these Sadducees, and, and really why we're asking the question in the first place. So Mark chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, it says, Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they pose this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. They continued, well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married 
and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. And then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. And so here's the question. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now, before we get to Jesus' answer here in the next couple of verses, let's talk a little bit about this group called the Sadducees. Okay, so if you've read the New Testament at all, you've probably heard of these two different people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is that second group. These were This was kind of the smaller group. Remember, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were the ones who made up what was called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the Jewish, almost like the Jewish Supreme Court. This was the group that is questioning Jesus all day long. You know, last week we talked about the question from the Pharisees. Today we're doing the question from the Sadducees. Next week, tune in again because there's one more question, and that one's going to come from the third group that makes up the Sanhedrin, the scribes. And so the Sadducees are asking their question. And their question has to do with something that's important to them. It's actually kind of like a doctrinal distinctive for them. Okay, so here was the doctrinal distinctive. The Pillar New Testament commentary says it like this. The Sadducees believed that at death, the soul perished along with the body, and hence there are no future rewards or punishments. In other words, like it says here, Um, they believed that there wasn't a resurrection. So they just kind of believed that when you died, you just were done. You were gone. There was no resurrection. There was no kind of like afterlife. And so really, actually, one of the other commentators said that, that this situation that gets, you know, presented to Jesus about these seven brothers, it was so ludicrous that it may have been a well-known Sadducean joke that was used for poking fun at the Pharisees' doctrine of the resurrection. Okay, so remember, so the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So if, you, if you've ever like talked with people who have, who have a different perspective on a doctrinal issue, like maybe a Calvinist talking with an Arminian, maybe you've been in this boat before, where you you try to like poke holes at someone someone else's divergent perspective on doctrine, and you use like a a, a crazy example like the a far flung example to prove your point. That might be exactly what was happening here with the Sadducees, as they're throwing this this crazy um, idea of seven different brothers and and basically saying like how is this supposed to work out if the resurrection is a thing we can't even make sense of this mathematically who is she going to be married to in heaven so remember the sadducees didn't didn't have to answer this question cuz they believe that there was no resurrection in fact acts 23:8 says that the sadducees say there's no resurrection nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So there was, this was a real dividing line for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, you know, we don't actually know very much about the Sadducees. In fact, the Sadducees kind of, after the temple 
is destroyed in AD 70, the, the Sadducees just sort of disappear. We don't really hear very much about them. Whereas the Pharisees we know more about, there's some Pharisees in the New Testament we read about, most famously Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee. And so in a sense, the Pharisees are more aligned with Jesus's teachings than the Sadducees were, um, because as we're going to see here in a second, Jesus is going to say, well, no, the resurrection is a thing. But but they're, they're missing kind of a point. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this at the very beginning today. This whole question that they asked is based on the idea that the Pharisees probably had that the next life, the afterlife, is, is just an extension of this life. And so, and really, one of the reasons that the Pharisees probably thought that is because actually the Old Testament doesn't say very much about, there's not a ton of doctrine of, the, of uh, eternity and heaven and hell in the Old Testament. So there, there, it, uh, it is mentioned in some places in the Old Testament, but not very much. And so the, the Sadducees get their idea from their emphasis on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That, that is really all the Sadducees really believed in. They only believed in the Pentateuch, whereas the Pharisees took the whole of the Old Testament. And so the Pharisees had more information. But as we're going to see with Jesus's response, they neither groups really had the full story. And, and so Jesus is going to sort of open up our understanding our doctrine of eternity in Jesus's answer, as is the rest of the New Testament going to do. But before we get to Jesus's answer, let me just point out something about the Sadducees. So, so think of it like this. The Sadducees were the group here who had a small view of Scripture. They're the people who said, I only believe these verses, these chapters, these books of the Bible, as opposed to someone who takes all of God's word and lets all of God's word be authoritative. So if we're going to like apply this to maybe a modern day group, the Sadducee would represent someone maybe like the Jesus only people, like the red letter people. I only believe the words of Jesus in the Bible, but I, I don't know if I believe that, that Paul's letters and some of the stuff that he says about sexuality or some of the stuff that he says about women or whatever, or a spiritual authority. I don't know if I believe that stuff. So, you know, there are some people today that throw out scripture that, that doesn't kind of line up with what they've already decided or what makes sense to them. They're just people who do that. And that's, that's how I think of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were people who said, we only believe in the first five books of the Bible, and that's the only part of Scripture that we take as authoritative, but I'm going to throw all the rest of it out. Now, I want you to think about that kind of person, and maybe you are that kind of person. So then I think Jesus's words, I pray, are going to really convict you today. Or maybe you know somebody who's like that, who who doesn't really have a high view of Scripture. They, 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 pick and choose the stuff that they like. I mean, really, honestly, that's so many people today. I mean, so so many Christians live in a, because we live in a have it your way world, we kind of have religion our way too. So we throw out what we don't like and we accept what we do like. 
And I want you to hear what Jesus's reply is to the Sadducees and to anyone who views scripture that way. Here's what he says in chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. He said, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, number one. And number two, you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So notice, first of all, he is telling them outright that the dead will rise. So they're wrong, right? They're wrong. And he's not even just saying that the Pharisees are right. He's going beyond that because I think for a Pharisee who would have been listening, they're going to get some new information because he's telling them something that they probably never heard before. They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So in other words, it's not going to be an extension of kind of the status quo on earth. So the question that the Sadducees were asking came from really a place of, it came from a place of ignorance. In fact, Jesus said, in this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. And uh, so once again, he's like, he's taught, he's saying there are such a thing as angels, which the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't believe in either. So he's correcting their misunderstanding there as well. Now, he's not saying that they will be angels. Humans aren't angels. Humans are different than angels. But he's going to say, he's saying in that respect, they'll be like the angels in heaven. But what I really want you to pay attention to here before we get, you know, sort of dive into Jesus's specific answer about what resurrection is going to be like, what resurrection life is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like, is I I want you to hear again what Jesus is saying to them about the mistake that they're making. First, he says, you don't know the scriptures, which we, we get that. That makes sense. They don't really know the scriptures. Why? Because they only believe in the first five uh, books of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, they don't believe in all the rest of it. And, and Jesus did believe in all the rest of it. And we should believe in all the rest of it. God's word is valuable and powerful and truthful. And God's word, all of God's word, all of it, the full counsel of God matters to us. And so first of all, he's saying you don't know the scriptures. And then second of all, he's saying that you're actually misunderstanding. You do not know the power of God. And I want you to really think about that. The power of God. When, as it relates to scripture, as it relates to God's truth. You know, maybe you're one of those people who questions the reliability of scripture. Maybe you look at the 66 books of the Old and New Testament and you're like, I'm not really sure that I completely believe all of it. And so what happens is as a result, when you come to scripture, you're, you're missing the full effect and the power of scripture because you don't really fully give, let it have authority in your life. And this is why I love Jesus's statement here. He says, you don't know the power of God. Like he's saying to the Sadducees, you don't, you don't think that God in his power, that God could make sure that his word is preserved for us through the ages. You only think that this handful of books is, is authoritative in our lives. Kind of like what I say to my Mormon friends. I say, man, the God of Mormonism seems so small compared to the God of biblical Christianity, because I believe that God gave his word, he gave his Old Testament to our New Testament believers, and then he gave the Old and New Testament to us, and I believe that my God is big enough to 
make sure that his word is reliable and is handed down through the ages so that his people, us, his church, can open it up that today, this is there's something so powerful about this that when I open up God's word, I know it's the same Old Testament that the Apostle Paul was reading. I know that when I open up you know, the New Testament, it's what St. Augustine was reading. It's what Martin Luther was reading. I, I have confidence that, that the God who wrote the Bible, and I mean, think about the story of the Bible. We talk about this in lesson two of the Pursuit series, that the Bible contains 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years, and yet it tells one unified story. I mean, think about it. Moses, a Jewish slave raised in the house of a pharaoh, wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch. Now, the the Sadducees believed in those, but think about all the other books. John, a fisherman turned revolutionary, wrote the last four books. And in between were books written by shepherds and kings and prophets and tax collectors and doctors and more. And of course, we talked about Paul. He's the most prolific author of the New Testament. He was a religious Pharisee who zealously persecuted the followers of Jesus until he realized he was on the on the wrong side, and then he started following them. He joined them. Most of these authors never met each other. Many of them were unaware of the other books and letters that would eventually be included in the Bible. These writings span different cultures and languages over the course of 15 centuries, and yet the Bible amazingly reads as one story, one beautiful, powerful, life-changing story. There's no way, there's no way that a human could have devised that. So when I think when Jesus is saying this to the Sadducees, you don't know the power of God, I think in part he's talking about, you don't think that God could make sure that his word would be brought to us, to his followers, those who would want to follow him. You don't think that God has the power to make sure that his word is preserved so that we can be obedient to it all these years later. So their doctrinal error is rooted in their misunderstanding of Scripture. Their doctrinal error is rooted in their lack of faith in in the power of God to give us his word over the centuries. Okay, that's kind of where where the error begins, which again is a warning to us today If you're listening to this podcast today and you're saying, you know, yeah, I've had some of my own questions. I don't know if I really allow God's word to be authoritative in my life. Then I think that you've got the seed of the error that the Sadducees, you know, fell for. Now, again, it impacted the way that they understood eternity. But for you and for me today, it could impact that and a million other doctrinal, small doctrinal things that we get wrong. Like if you start if you start off on the wrong foot by not recognizing God's authority in his word, then all the rest of your beliefs are on on really shaky ground, which essentially is what Jesus is saying to the Sadducees. Okay, and then now in verse 26, he answers their question specifically as far as it relates to resurrection. And I want you to pay attention to Jesus's answer, because this is where we're going to then spend some time talking about what the Bible does say about eternity in resurrection and all these things. Here's what Jesus said. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses 
in the story of the burning bush. So isn't it interesting that he goes back to the portion of scripture that they would have believed in and read and taken to be scripture. He's he's not going to actually argue out of the other books that they didn't believe in. He's even going to go right back to something that they already believed in, but that they'd been misreading all along. Here's what he says. He says, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so here's what Jesus said. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that you follow Jesus's line of argument. So here's what Jesus is saying. And then, and then again, we're going, to get, we're going to spend some time at the end of our podcast today talking about some of the other things that the Bible says about eternity and resurrection and all that stuff. But first, I, I want to make sure that you understand what Jesus is saying right here in this passage. Jesus is saying that if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that if they hadn't made it into the afterlife, in other words, if they just died and there was no resurrection... And so they're just buried and dead and gone, and they just ceased to exist. That if that was the case, you know, the Sadducean view of of the afterlife, then God would have said something different to Moses. He would have said something like, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The verb tense is telling here that if if they didn't still exist, he would have said, well, I was. Back then, back when they were alive, back when they existed, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But no, Jesus is saying, God told Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I still am. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. He's the God of the living. In other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Now, not alive on the earth, not living in their, in their earthly bodies, but alive in the afterlife because God continues to have a relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So a relationship with God that starts on earth continues into eternity. It continues beyond our life here on earth. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. And so he's correcting the serious error of the Sadducees because Because what you believe about eternity matters. It's important that we get eternity right, that we think properly about eternity, and the Sadducees didn't have the right picture. Now, before we move on from this text, I want to read something from the Pillar New Testament commentary, because I thought this was just so brilliant. They, They say this, Scripture, or the Torah, and power, or the Sanhedrin, right? He's Jesus is basically saying that they've got scripture and power wrong. And here's what the commentary says. Scripture and power were precisely the Sadducees' stock and trade, the two matters in which they majored. They majored in the Torah, and they majored in the Sanhedrin. And what the commentary is saying is in magisterial authority, Jesus asserts that what the Sadducees claim to know best, in fact, they know least. They're vulnerable not at their weak points, but at their strong points. They've gone astray not at the periphery or in the incidentals of their belief system, but at the heart and center of their beliefs. 
So the Sadducees were strutting around in Jesus's day, feeling pretty good about themselves in terms of their understanding of Torah and their understanding of power. And Jesus is basically saying, you're off. You've, you've struck out on both counts. You don't understand the Torah. You don't understand Moses's writings. You don't even understand them. And you don't even understand power and authority. And if you did, then you would see all of this differently. And so this indeed was offensive to the Sadducees to be corrected by Jesus here so authoritatively. And in fact, again, for any of the Pharisees who were who were looking on or listening in, they too would have learned something about, about the afterlife. They too would have got walked away from what Jesus said, realizing that there was more to it than even what they understood. Because again, Jesus was the one who understood scripture because he's the author of scripture, and he's the one who really understands power and authority because he himself is God, and he is teaching with more authority and more power than anyone before had ever seen. And remember, this is why the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, the teachers of the law, this is why they were so threatened by Jesus is because he really did have more authority than they did. He understood it differently than they did. And he's answering all of their questions brilliantly, but he's also making them insecure. And remember, by the end of this week, they're going to put Jesus on trial and Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross, the Roman form of, of uh, punishment. And at the, by the end of the week, they're going to feel like that they had the upper hand. But of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that, that this was God's plan all along. Okay, so that's all we have to say about the text itself for today from Mark chapter 12. But I want to spend just a little more time today, going back to the question that we started with at the beginning. And here was our question. What will eternity be like? Okay, so we know now the Pharisees were more right than the Sadducees, but the Pharisees also had something to learn. And as we look at the rest of scripture, we're going to do that a little bit today. So take out a pen and paper and let's let's spend a little time on this. As we look at the rest of scripture, we realize that there's more that we can learn about eternity and Let's take a look at that. In fact, we have from our Sistheo series, I'll put a link to that down below in the show notes today, topic number 11 in, in our 12-week Sistheo series. It's an excellent series. I encourage you to check it out. We answer the question, what happens after we die? And I want to just spend a little bit of time on some of those uh, some of those talking points from that lesson. Again, we're, we don't have time to get into all of this but we do want to answer this question, what's eternity going to be like? And uh, topic 11 really gives us a good solid answer to that. So here's the first thing you need to know. After the final judgment, every human being will be resurrected. Okay, Jesus is talking about resurrection here in Mark 12. Every human being will be resurrected into an immortal body and consigned to one of two eternal fates, which we know as heaven and hell. So where does that come from? Well, there's a few places. First of all, Acts 24, verse 15, it says there, I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. So did you hear that? That both the righteous will be resurrected, they'll be resurrected unto life, 
and the unrighteous also will be resurrected, and they'll be resurrected unto death. Let's talk about the unrighteous for a second, because I think a lot of you listening to this might, you know, this is an example of a part of scripture that you'd probably rather not believe, because it's uncomfortable. Like, this is one of those scriptures that I would rather, (laughs) I would rather not be true, but I don't get to make that decision. You know, like the Sadducees, I don't get to pick and choose the parts of scripture that I like and the parts that I want to throw out. So 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, it says this, He will come with his mighty mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God, and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Get ready for this next part. I don't like it, but it's in the Bible. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So that's an elaboration on what we learned in Acts 24, 15, when it says that the unrighteous will be raised also, that there will be resurrection for both the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, if I was making up a religion, if I, if I got to decide how this was going to work, honestly, here's what I would say. I would say, well, the righteous will be raised to eternal life and they'll be in heaven forever, but the unrighteous would just die and be no more. Like, honestly, that, that's what I would say if I got to make up my religion, but I don't get to. So I have to wrestle with these hard passages like 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In fact, I encourage you to go back and read that whole chapter and really wrestle with this because if you're going to be submitted, like if you really believe in the power of God, you know, if you're going to be submitted to him, then you're going to let his word have power and authority rather than you trying to like pick and choose what you like. Here's another passage, this one from the Old Testament, Daniel 12, 2. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about that is, man, boy, this is kind of hard to swallow, but it's what the Bible says. Okay, so that's the unrighteous side of it. Let's let's spend a little time now on, okay, what does the Bible say about the resurrection of the righteous? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 43 and 44, it says, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. So what that passage tells us is that there's a, there's a truth about eternity that is embodied, that eternity isn't what I thought it was when I was young growing up for whatever reason, kind of like this white room and harps and angels. And it wasn't even like an embodied experience. I don't know where I got that idea from, but the Bible says that that we're buried as natural human bodies, but we're raised as spiritual bodies. Now notice it doesn't say we're raised as spirits. It says raised as spiritual bodies. So we will have a spiritual body. I, I think about this kind of like how Jesus, when the resurrected Jesus, he was the first one to, to have a resurrected body that there's some connection to our earthly bodies, but we don't know exactly what the connection is. I mean, the disciples recognized Jesus, but yet it wasn't his physical body. It was a spiritual body. 
again, it might be a little bit paradoxical and hard for us to understand, but the Bible says that we will have resurrected spiritual bodies. There's something physical about the new heavens and the new earth. It's not just kind of this ethereal thing. We're all floating around and we can't even relate to it. It's going to be beautiful and physical and real. And again, if you want to learn a little bit more about one author's take on that, check out Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He talks about what that might look like, streets of gold and mountains and colors and just the beauty of everything. You know, everything that we see in the world that we find to be beautiful is is like a glimpse into what eternity might be like. Eternity isn't less than what we see here on earth. Eternity is more than, it's greater than. In fact, that's really one of the answers. Maybe your question is, wait, hold on. So what about, what about marriage in heaven? Am I going to know my spouse in heaven? Well, I, I would say, of course, you are going to know your spouse, but you're not going to know your spouse as your spouse. And maybe that makes you feel sad. Maybe you're like, oh, well, then heaven's not going to be as good as earth. Well, then I think you're missing the whole point. You know, Jesus said there isn't going to be marriage in heaven. The Bible says that there isn't marrying in heaven. So this question that the Sadducees asked, Jesus is like, that's a dumb question. You don't even understand what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be better than earth. You're not going to need the institutions of marriage like we have here on earth. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have a relationship with your spouse But that relationship is going to be so much greater than anything you've ever experienced. And guess what? It's not just the relationship that you have with your spouse. And this is huge. It's the relationship that you have with God. Remember, Jesus said to the Sadducees, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. That's about relationship. Heaven is about relationship. Better than you could ever imagine. Not just with your family and friends. Not just with your spouse. But, but your relationship with God is even better than it is here on earth. Maybe you get glimpses of that relationship in a prayer time or in a worship time. Multiply that by a thousand and you're still not there. Your, your relationship with God that starts here on earth is going to continue into eternity. And that's what the resurrection is going to be like. Somehow your resurrected spiritual body is going to experience that even better than you've ever experienced it here on earth with your physical body. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that was written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And that's why as Christians, as followers of Jesus, all of this conversation gets us to focus more on Jesus, not less on Jesus, that we realize that when we think about eternity, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to we don't have to have questions or feel insecure or anxious about what it what eternity is going to be like because Jesus himself said John 11. He says, "I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never 
ever die. Jesus spoke these words to Martha personally. Martha had some anxiety about her about her brother's death, and Jesus is giving her an answer not just about her brother, but for her. And he's saying, I have overcome sin and hell and death and the grave. The resurrection, the reason we have hope in the resurrection is because Jesus has conquered sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, let's just go back to that one more time. Verse 21, it says, So you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. I want to finish with one more quote from the Pillar New Testament commentary. This is so good. They say, the ultimate answer to the Sadducees is not the exegesis or even authority of Jesus. It's not like his better study of the Old Testament. It's not even his authority, neither of which they accept. But the answer for the Sadducees is the life of Jesus. For the empty tomb will verify his teaching to the Sadducees. Jesus doesn't simply announce the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, he said to Martha. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So if you're listening to this today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, I want you to take comfort and courage and encouragement in those words that, that eternity is something to look forward to, not to be anxious about. And if you're listening to this and you've never trusted in Jesus, then this is an opportunity for you to do that. Like You don't have to wonder what eternity is going to be for you. You don't have to wonder if you're going to be resurrected unto life or resurrected unto judgment and eternal condemnation. You can know right now, you can put your faith in Jesus and you can know that Jesus' resurrection is something that you will partake in as well. If you want to learn more about that, I'll put a link down below to a little document and a topic that we have online called Five Verses on Preparing for Eternity. Read it for yourself, or maybe you've got a friend that is really struggling with this question, what is heaven going to be like and how can I get there? This document, this handout, this conversational topic helps answer all those questions. I'll put a link to it down below. And make sure to share this topic with a friend who would benefit from listening to it.